Everyone, welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Paula Finley. I'm Nick Goldston. Do I say whatever's the next <laughs> Yes, that's your job. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever, ever nailed that, like 100% nailed the intro, and this won't be that time either, I guess. We're back home in Bend. We uh, just got back from our awesome camping trip in Mammoth with Nick, seeing all the cool spots. We are, uh, we've gotten a few workouts in now that we're back home. It snowed a little bit. It was sunny. It's just been, it's been a roller coaster. But Eric, Eric, you forgot to say, this is that triathlon life podcast. That's the very first thing I said. He did say Welcome that. to that triathlon life. Oh, he did say that. But wow. he didn't say, he didn't say, who are you guys? Who am I? Why are we here? Why are we alive? Yes, okay. Eric and I are both professional triathletes. Nick is a professional musician. This is our side, side, side gig doing this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we have about 10 things that come before it, but we have not missed a podcast yet in 13 weeks. So. That's right. Somehow. Somehow. I would say this is, this is rapidly climbing up the list of side gigs towards the, towards the main gig zone. Yeah, I mean, the number of people that came up to us at Oceanside and said, love the pod was like yeah. more than said, love the vlog. Well, it's because the pods, one. the pods fresh meat. I feel like people there, yeah. they're excited about it because it's new. And Nick's a part of it. We, you guys still have way more people that watch the YouTube show. That's true. We did, we did also say that, you know, like, if people like this, we'll keep doing it. So we haven't ever said that about the YouTube channel. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're if doing we want the- more praise, maybe we should do that. Oh, we're thinking about quitting YouTube yeah. unless somebody tells us we're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So uh, like Eric said, we just got back from our California trip and we're kind of trying to get back into the groove of training. But I also came back to an inbox full of amazing questions. So we're going to hit up as many of those as we can. And I must say a lot of them came with very heartfelt notes along with the questions and we love those. Like it makes Eric almost cry. He writes back to a lot of them. And I copy and paste them all to Nick, not expecting he's going to read them on the pod, but just so he can read them. Yeah, because there was some nice stuff so in nice. there. And I, I go through and I kind of like uh, tactically take some of that stuff out because it's a little, it's very nice, but I don't know if everyone needs to hear yeah. it. <laughs> no, exactly. That's what I'm saying is I don't think we need to read it on the podcast, but we yeah. appreciate the nice words. Very much. Great. Let's, why don't we jump right into it? Since we have a bunch of questions, we'll try to answer them as best and as quickly as we can. Just no, full no questions. fun games today. Just full. Wait a questions. second. Unless right. is that? Do you hear that sound? Oh, I I think that's pop quiz triathlon spelling bee. Okay, here we go. Spelling <laughs> bee. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, Eric, are you ready? I didn't even realize this was going to happen. Here we go. First word. Triathlon has three disciplines. Disciplines. How do you spell disciplines? D i s c i p l i n e. That's correct. Once again, the <laughs> legend Eric Lagerstrom strikes again. Next word. Sometimes when you're in college, you can still compete, and that would make you a collegiate athlete. Collegiate. Eric, go ahead. C o l l e g i a t e. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. Once again, our boy, our man, our son, <laughs> Eric Lagerstrom. <laughs> when you're swimming and you're sighting, sometimes you have to try to peek over the waves to see the buoys. Oh. I can do this one. I can do this one. B-U-O-Y-S. Oh, special star appearance from Paula. Nailed it. <laughs> Got oh, it. Oh, it's right. <laughs> Got it. Got it. That one actually trips me up all the time. There you go. That's a confusing one. So Eric and Paul are professionals, but I am an amateur. Amateur. How do you spell amateur? A-M-A-T-U-E-R. Ah, 
first ever incorrect answer from Eric. It is E-U-R. That's why I put it in there because it makes no sense. I think it comes from Le Français. Anaerobic contribution. Anaerobic. A-N-A-E-R-O-B-I-C. That is correct. And finally, the process of breaking down sugar into lactate, I think that's roughly what it is, is called glycolysis. How do you spell glycolysis? G-L-Y-C-O-L-I-S. That's glycolysis. Glyco, oh yeah, glycolysis. Glyco, G-L-Y-C-O-L-Y-S-I-S. That is correct. I would have not gotten four of those letters correct. Very well done, Eric. Nick, those those are those are hard. Nick, You're ramping it up. Those were really good words. That's still five out of six, so I'm nowhere near breaking you. My goal one day is to get you to get less than fifty percent of these, or at least make you think about it a little longer. You're gonna make me have to start reading more. <laughs> That's right. Um, anyway, that was our second ever installation of our triathlon spelling bee. This one was a pop quiz. I promise I did not tell Eric it was happening beforehand. And I certainly didn't tell him how to misspell amateur. So anyway, now that that's done, we're kind of warmed up here. We're going to move on to the questions. The first one is from Eileen's iPhone. I think that's not her last name, but her name is Eileen. Uh, she says, does Paula train in metric units and Eric Nick in Imperial, or are you guys bilingual in terms of kilometers slash miles for distances and paces? How are races marked, and have there been issues with that? Thanks. Eileen's iPhone. I train 100% in kilometers and meters, preferably in the pool, because we, we swim meters. Um, Eric's also kilometers. Yep, same. But Nick, you're, you're miles. All the, basically, if you're fast enough, you train in kilometers. So I'm still not at that <laughs> threshold, so I'm still training fully imperial. <laughs> uh, I don't know about it's that. It's really more of a matter of if you've raced ITU or not, because every ITU race is going to have kilometer markers, and the coaches are going to talk in terms of kilometers and paces and kilometers. So, Yeah, um, miles is very American. But in a 70.3 in Canada, they'll have kilometer markers, and then in the U.S., they'll be mile markers. Yeah. So. You kind of just, everyone has their GPS anyway. Do you feel like you are bilingual in that sense? So like if I tell you a seven minute mile, do you know roughly what that feels like? Or is that kind of all like no. a, no? No, I, for some reason, like Fahrenheit to Celsius, miles to kilometers, my brain just doesn't work yeah. that way. What about you, Eric? Yeah. Yeah. I under, I have, he understands better. Since I started with Imperial and then switched to metric, it's, uh, I don't fully understand Celsius. Like I understand zero and minus right. thirty is extremely cold and thirty-five right. is very hot. But like, if you were like, "What is 12? I'm like, "Uh, cold-ish." It's I, so I interesting because like your body just associates <laughs> the feeling. So the 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 trick I have for everyone, I think I've said this before. It's a really good trick. It's because zero, we know zero and thirty-two. That's an easy one. But those aren't really temperatures that you live in that much. The, the most common one is 16 Celsius is 61 Fahrenheit. So you just flip those two oh. numbers around. And oh, then either direction you go, every one degree Celsius down or up is two degrees Fahrenheit. And you'll get pretty freaking close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's my little wow. tip. But yeah, um, yeah, I also am not really bilingual in that. I just know that four-minute Ks is a 20-minute 5K, which is a 625 per mile. So I can kind of extrapolate from there. That is what's great about if you're running 10K and 5K. It is so simple. (laughs) Yeah, it's so simple. You want to run a 30-minute 10K? Three minutes per K. Easy. The end. Yeah, that's. (laughs) I've never... 
Yeah, unless I'm in a car, I'm not doing a 30-minute 10K. Um, okay, great. Uh, next question is from Nick R. Hello, Eric, Paula, and Nick. I'm curious to hear Eric's thoughts on the announcement by Xterra that they will hold long-distance off-road triathlons this year. Do you think Xterra will ever reach the coverage, viewership, and relevance? I hate to use that term because I find Xterra very relevant. Or is it kind of its own thing? I think it would be great to see live coverage of major Xterra races, maybe in the same vein as the UCI partnership with Red Bull to broadcast their mountain bike races. Keep up the great work in the podcast, in sport, and in the music studio. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited to see it. I have felt like when they say Xterra long course, it's really kind of a gravel triathlon from what I can gather out of it. They say it's like low technical ability needed and, and smoother gravel roads, not like single track. sounds like it would be a gravel bike type of a thing. Um, and I feel like that should be pretty relevant given the, the relevance of gravel these days. And it's just going to matter whether or not Xterra can really capture the same sort of a vibe that, uh, is going on at a gravel race that makes people love it so much. It's kind of cowboy and kind of fun and not, I, I think that they will just based on how fun the Xterra normal Xterras that I've been to have been. Um, and there was like a second half of that question. Oh, coverage. Yeah. I, I bet like I could see them starting to do like some recaps of just like general race nests. Like think like the, the Ironman Kona broadcast or something where you, they're just like really trying to give you the vibe of the whole event and get people excited about going and doing it and accomplishing something, whether or not they'll have like really focus hard on the pros. At first, probably not. Right. That's just like my guess. It'd be like, oh, here's some pro athletes and they're doing it and here's who won. But also, look at how beautiful this is. Book your vacation now. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I hope that there's just kind of like a, a lagging effect of how excited people are about gravel right now and that it'll catch up to off-road triathlon as well. Yeah. I mean, Xterra is kind of tough just because you do need a... a a mountain bike, a higher right? level of ability, yeah. include and a mountain bike, um, then you would need to do a gravel race. Almost anybody out there could go and complete a gravel race in terms of like technical ability. But an Xterra does have single track and, and stuff. Is anyone doing Xterra with a gravel bike? You're technically not allowed to. You need to have oh, a flat I see. bar. Okay, bike. got it, got it. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Uh, our next question is from Becky Larson in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, I remember her, by the way. She said, first of all, it was so great to meet you all in Oceanside, currently wearing my yellow TTL shirt. I felt a bit nice. starstruck meeting her. you guys, so I'm sorry if I seem like a bit of an idiot. She, you did not at all. She said, I'm the six foot two blonde that wanted a picture with Paula and Heather. <laughs> yes, and not me. <laughs> and she has like four kids or something. And Yeah, yeah. yeah I, rem- so I remember amazing. her. She was definitely like very starstruck with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, you guys rock. Love the brand. Love your Instagram. Love the pod. I listen to the pod every weekend of my long run and I find myself laughing and smiling the whole way through it. Kind of seems like you are all right there with me, which is exactly what we're hoping for. Perfect. So she has two questions. One, do you find it hard to balance training time versus time spent with your significant other? My husband and I both do triathlons and there seem to be a large number of tri-couples out there. How do you guys manage your time in that way? <laughs> Wow, that's an appropriate. Yeah, we're lying in bed right now. Last night, I feel so tired right now. Hence my lack of very, being very funny this week. You're great, but, Paula. <laughs> we're like, triathlon is ruining our relationship because I feel like you're my training partner. <laughs> I literally said that. Because yep. it's true. Can confirm. You guys have a unique relationship because it is feasible for you to do all of your sessions together. 
Like it's, and we do. it's not perfect, but it is possible. For a lot of people, yeah. it's not possible. So that's a, both a good and a bad thing, right? Like it's not possible. I would so say you it's don't... mostly a good thing. Right. Like For the me. ideal, I think, would be 50%, probably. Right. And the other 50% are impossible. So neither nobody has to feel bad about not going. That That's the thing with Paula and I. If we both have a bike ride, but I, I kind of want to ride by myself and think or go on a mountain bike ride, then it's just a matter of me telling Paula I want to go by myself. Right. I, yeah, don't want to go with her. And, you know, it's versus if, if you had a great excuse, like we you just, have a podcast to record or you right, have a right. baby to pick up from soccer practice. Right. It's not just the training part. It's the being grumpy and tired after training and you're in the same house or you have to juggle like how you're going to do Eric's phone call and my massage and my physio appointment. Like there's such a cohesive, like we're dependent on one another for so many things. And so it's not just the swim, bike, run time. It's everything else as well. What are we having for dinner? We're both tired. We both did the same workout. Who's making dinner? Who's cleaning up from dinner? And, uh, when is Eric going to edit? Like all of this comes into our lives. So it's very real. And I think we need to do a better job of like shutting off from triathlon every once in a while to, uh, I don't know, go have a nice dinner or something. I, I agree with that. And as someone who's in a relationship with someone who's not a triathlete, or at least not currently a triathlete, I feel like the biggest advice I can give, and, and every relationship is different, but is that be very excited about triathlon when you're doing it. And then when you come home and you're not doing it, I think try to like shield them from that because they're already mm-hmm. like this person goes out and trains 15 hours a week and now they come home and they want to talk about triathlon more like I'm sick of it I don't want to hear about it anymore so already <laughs> yeah. there all the that's time that's actually that's perfect advice for most of the podcast listeners because they're talking about a significant other that might not do the sport Eric and I are pretty good about not talking about triathlon when we're home because we are both sick of it right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is I I think if you're listening to this podcast you're probably guilty of this, right? Because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a pretty into triathlon, right? You're not just <laughs> casual about it. You're a hardcore. So it's hard. To, you, you do want to think about it all day, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what you got us here for. And right. go listen to that Triathlon Life podcast right? and feel like you're, you're talking to somebody. Get on slow twitch and <laughs> do right. that, listen, you know. Listen, what we need is for you to wear our things, watch the YouTube show, listen to the podcast, <laughs> and slowly become one of us. <laughs> I, but never talk about it with your significant other. That's right. I, I, they, don't, I, they don't care at all. It's a cult. Yeah. I think what we really need to do that I've been I've been playing with, but I don't, shouldn't take on another thing, is like a forum would be pretty cool like a ttl forum where you could go talk to other people not us it's not like right. you just have to listen to ttl yeah. pod the end it's something know? eric and i have been trying to figure that out how how to best create some kind of space for the podcast listeners and maybe just like ttl yeah. fans in general to be able to talk uh and we, talk amongst yourselves yeah we haven't we haven't quite figured yeah. it out there's but we're, we're we're excited about figuring that out at some point we will we'll figure it out um the, there was a yeah. second part to this question uh, she said, oh, maybe boy. maybe TMI, but I'm curious. Do you ever need to pee while racing 70.3 or longer event? If so, do you just go on your bike or while running? I recently did a full Ironman, and it seems like I had to pee so many times, although it may have taken me a little longer than it would for you. So first of all, can you pee while running? Do people do that? Is that possible? I don't. I haven't. I have peed while riding. Yeah, one time I, I know. I know. I know. A lot of people pee while riding, but I don't know if you can. Can you physically pee while running? I don't know if that's even I possible. Mean, 
I don't know. That would require some like really specific muscle relaxing. (laughs) Right. Right. I feel like you might fall over. You just like start squatting and like fall, crumple onto the ground. (laughs) This is Paula's favorite question. (laughs) She can't wait to talk about it more. I mean, the fact that you have to pee a lot in a race means you're hydrating enough probably. So that's good. Maybe too much though? I find that. No? Possibly too much. Yeah. I don't know how it has to do with salt balance and all of that, maybe adjusting your electrolytes would make you retain more of the water and not like expel as much. So maybe just taking more electrolytes, but that's not a scientific answer. That's just my like hypothesis. That's smart though. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. We're not the best for this since we haven't done Ironmans. I feel yeah. like 100% you're peeing on the bike in an Ironman at least once. Yeah. I've never maybe, peed in yeah. a race. So and I've, I've never, never had, had to. to. Yeah. I've never had yeah. to either. It's not like I'm holding it I in. I think it's like and then on the the in addition to that, when we are drug tested after the race and we have to pee in a oh, cup, yeah, it takes right. me forever. Yeah, because I'm so dehydrated. So, yeah, I've never yeah. really had that issue. Yeah, so we don't really know much about that. But I am doing my first Ironman in September, so uh, I'll keep you updated once I do pee myself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Eric, you pee, you stop on all the runs we do to pee in a bush. Eric if is you a just peeing like, machine. If you just were like so full and had to pee so bad, you could definitely go while you were running. Wow, I don't know. Yeah, you could. I think you could. Eric, uh, I this might be TMI, but I swear we're running. Eric's like, I have to pee. And by the end of the word pee, I hear pee hitting the ground. It's like, <laughs> it's so instant. I have to like zen out for a second. I'm like, okay, I'm in my safe place. Here we go. No one's looking at me. And finally I can pee. Eric just like has a thought. He's like, all right, I'm just going to, whoa. No, I've been th- like, by the time that I announced it, I've been thinking about it for a little bit. Right. And I also see. we're like pretty remote where we run here. Yeah. So yeah. That's right. It's not like he's running like through Manhattan, <laughs> peeing in no, Times Square. Exactly. <laughs> it's right in the bush. This question is from Ryan and Bree. I found that my lower back tends to start hurting around mile seven or eight when I ride and I'm unable to run the same day and sometimes not even the next day without pain. Do you think this will ease over time or could it be strength related? I'm unsure if I should do mobility work or just go back and get my fit adjusted. What do you think? Lower back, lower back pain. Um, I mean like the quick things that you could do would be like do some ART on a foam roller, hit your, hit your quads and like your hip flexors. Sometimes low back pain comes from very tight hip flexors cause they mount, they go like kind of through your hips and up to your lower back. That'd be That'd be like one thing you can just try at home, see if that helps. Do you guys have problems with that ever? Yeah, but typically like I'll get it when I do my first big mountain bike ride of the season and you're pretty bent over and it's really high torque. Um, Oh, is that what it is? Because it only happens to me on my mountain bike. Like even on my TT bike, fully horizontal, no problem. Road bike, no problem. Mountain bike, which I'm the most vertical, that's when I get lower back pain. Is it it because I'm lower cadence, like torquing harder, do you think? I think so. Yeah, thousand watts at two RPM. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe some advice we would have for her is to try to shift down and use a higher cadence, right? And then uh, do some of that strengthening stuff too. Yeah. If you I find d- you're riding like fifty RPM, definitely get get that up. But like anywhere around eighty is pretty reasonable. I think it's pretty common for a bike fit issue to cause lower back pain. Like a fairly simple fix: a saddle adjustment. A you know, your reach adjustment, something like that. Yeah. Quite commonly your saddle height though, just changing that very slightly can relieve lower back pain. So in her I've had that happen. In her lead up to the question, which I skipped over, she said that she had a bike fit at Trek and then started swimming a few days a week at the gym and now running three to four days a week. So Well there's your problem. Yeah, there's a problem. Yeah. 
<laughs> go get a bike fitted. A real bike company. But yeah, I would like, I mentioned the ART on the foam roller, the pin and stretch thing just was like something you could do tonight to try it out. But I think it's probably good to go check in with your bike fitter. Cool. And, a, a, and a lot of bike fitters do put people too high. I mean, just because you had a bike fit, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm 100% good to go. A lot of it is based on road feel, how you feel when you get out riding. And then a bike fit is kind of like a snapshot in time, but it's not real life. You're not riding for an hour or more at the fit. So take it with a grain of salt and then make adjustments as you go, I think. I would say like quite a few bike fitters out there encourage people to come back after a few weeks and get like a checkup or a tune-up mm, or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I, I would say a bike fit is like a constantly evolving process, yeah. not a one and done. My guy here is the same way, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Okay, next question is from Brad Ellis in Olympia. Um, and there's he says a lot of really nice stuff, um, but I'm going to skip to the question just because we're a little Thanks, short Brad. on time. Um, long time blog viewer, but I missed the start of the pod and had to play catch up. Now that I'm up to speed, I'd like to ask a question I haven't heard yet. My question is for Eric. Forgive the gushing, but I'm a big fan of your videography and film work. I love watching your artistry grow along with the vlog. It's both those brief shots when you have just the right angle or motion or communicate the mood or feeling you're trying to share and the larger packages like controlled burn last year. Kudos to Nick for helping with that or the recent Shiv build. My assumption is when your pro try days are over, hopefully a long time from now, you'll continue to work in film, video, or visual communication in some way. Is that correct? If so, do you have ideas about what form that might take or subjects you might explore? I can certainly see you doing great short or long films for brands, locations, events, activities, perhaps films about the aspect of triathlon that helps draw people into the sport and gets current participation even more excited. What do you think, Eric? Good question. I pretty much nailed it, Brad. That is my career trajectory. Uh, so, like, I, I started Transition 4 uh, several years before I started that triathlon life. And kind of the way that Transition 4 sits now is I consider that to be uh, my production company. Um, but it's really just, you know, an idea at this point. But once we're done racing professionally and, and maybe once that triathlon life is kind of, we've done everything that we want to do with that. Um, or it could be going on simultaneously, I would definitely like to produce things for other people, not for just for us or just produce films that I feel like need to be out in the world and kind of do that through transition four. So, um, I guess like dream scenario would be, yeah, maybe brands approach me and want to do something, but I have a lot of creative control and can make films that are sponsored by companies that yeah tell cool stories. Ultimately, like what I like about filmmaking and all of this is just conveying an emotion and getting people excited to do whatever it is, or, you know, knowing that you made them feel something. He even said the start of triathlon season could become unofficially launched every year when the new Eric Lagers from film is released, like Warren Miller was with <laughs> skiing. Whatever you decide to do, I know it'll be great, and I hope you'll keep sharing with all of us. That would be fun, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that phase, for sure. Cool. Um, okay, great. Well, thank you. The next question is from Zoe. Zoe says, Hi, Paula, Eric, and Nick. What would be your advice slash tips for someone who has run and swam their whole life and is looking at getting into triathlons, thanks for the great podcast and weekly videos. They really do bring me lots of joy. Zoe. So this is uh, someone that has never really biked before. Right. First of all, I feel well, like that's, that's the, the best, best place to be, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. you're golden. I was just going to say, best case scenario, because anyone can ride a bike. And I think a lot of the fitness you get from swimming and running transfers over to riding and a lot of the training philosophies and principles and intervals... You're all familiar with that. So 
just get a bike and do a triathlon. That's yeah. my advice. <laughs> yeah, the hardest thing is to sign to up, swim. Yeah, and then the second hardest thing behind that is if you were a swimmer and you'd never run, it's getting through five years of being injured all the time. Yeah, so you're you're golden. You're you're set. Just get yeah. a bike and start putting I, some miles in. It's it's coming from a bike background and having to learn how to both swim and run. I feel I don't know if it's regret, but I feel like oh. If I just swam when I was younger, I would have this done, and running is such a struggle. So definitely the best place to be, and the the bike fitness will come, no problem. Yeah. I will say, though, that if you're planning to do a longer distance race, the bike is usually the majority of the training hours. So you do have to maybe not jump straight into that and build up slowly, because although it's the least likely to be injured on the bike, you still can run into injuries with knee problems or back problems, stuff like that. So I would just say kind of similar to our last question that we had, um, get a bike fit and make sure you're comfortable yes. on it and also work on your bike handling skills a lot. And that's not going out and doing a workout necessarily, but just riding around a parking lot, getting comfortable cornering, getting comfortable, just like learning the bike because it's, uh, you know, having something underneath you like that's very different than just going out and running on your feet. So just make it part of you kind of, I and think, it takes years, honestly. I, I think getting the bike fit is, that is such a good point because you've got a huge engine and you could do some damage uh, like all of a sudden being in a bike fit that doesn't quite fit your body right so yeah yeah. super good advice cool well there you go zoe we hope to see you winning triathlons very soon yeah (laughs) high expectations (laughs) yeah (laughs) we just assume she's like (laughs) she's gonna crush it we know she's elite she's super she's super elite (laughs) uh okay great well next question is from marielle uh marielle says this is this question is mostly for Nick, and I want to say hello to Paula and Eric. Oh, wow. Hello. Hi. Paula, I'm a fellow <laughs> East Coast Canadian, Toronto and Mon- Montreal representing. Uh, Montreal? And, wow. Sorry. Mont- how do you say it? Montreal? Montreal. Montreal. Uh, <laughs> wait, how do you Just say kidding, I don't how know. Do you say, Je suis désolé. How do you say I'm sorry? I think that's it. Just be Desolée. Desolée. There's seven years of yeah. French. I, I think that's all, it. It's all coming down. Um, <laughs> she's a fellow East Coast Canadian, Toronto and Montreal representing, and live in Cali, California. That's what she means when she says Cali. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why does... I'm this sorry. Is I, Cali. Have a, I have a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been great seeing you race in Oceanside for the past two years. Eric, your videos are awesome. Uh, finally, the question for Nick. What is your link to Italy? I have a connection to the country, and I heard you moved to USA from Italy when you were five. I love hearing people's cultural experiences, and it was lovely hearing you say ciao at the end of the show. Um, Can I just try to say something really quick? Yeah, go ahead. So, Nick, your first language is Italian, which Correct. you would never know by listening to you speak now. You learned English when you were five. Yeah. yeah. Nick's connection to Italy. He is from there. <laughs> um, he is Italian. So, so the, the, here's the rub. My dad is American. He's from Oklahoma. He is a farm boy from Oklahoma. He walked okay. to school barefoot with his shoes in his hands. My mom is from a royal family in Italy. So they're very opposites in many ways. So yes, we lived in Italy at first. But um, I would say I remember my friends when I moved to the U.S. telling me I had an accent. Uh, when I spoke English. So I definitely needed time to adjust. But when we were growing up in Italy, my mom always got us British babysitters so that I could like try to develop my English. But I'd say mm-hmm. by the time I was like seven or eight, you couldn't hear I had an accent speaking in English. Yeah. And now, and, to, and these days, I, I, I definitely have both languages and I speak to my mom only in Italian. I don't speak English with her. It's super cool. Mm-hmm. When you bust that language out. 
We're like, what? Well, just to prove to the Italian <laughs> listeners that I'm not lying, sono qui su FaceTime con i miei amici Eric e Paola e stiamo registrando il nostro podcast che esce ogni giovedì mattina e sono molto grato a loro due per questa opportunità. Oh my gosh. That anyway, is so thank beautiful. you, Mariel, for your... <laughs> thank you, Nick. I don't know what that message said, but thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, of course. Uh, Mariel, thank you for the question. Yes, Italy is my, uh, it's my background and it still shows up in a lot of my behavior and, and the things I like, for sure. It's a very nice language. Yeah. I think it yeah, sounds it's beautiful. Nice. It's, oh, it sounds great. I, I like it in that sense, but it would have been a little bit better if I spoke like Spanish or Chinese or something. Or French even. Or French. Yeah. Well, that's why I took freaking seven years of French and I can't even say Montréal. <laughs> I think French would come quickly to you because it's a little bit Italian based, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, do, it does help. It does help. Yes. Um, next question is from Everett, Paula, Eric and Nick and Flynn. Thank you all so, so much for such an amazing podcast. It goes fabulously well with the vlog, and you are all crushing it. I have a technical question from one redhead to a few others. How do you handle sunblock on race day? I'm doing my first 70.3 this summer, the one in Salem. Ooh. Well, we might all be there. Let's go. We might all be there. And I anticipate I'll be on the course until 11.30 or so, and I assume I'll be in direct sun for a fair amount of time on the run. Do you have any tips or tricks around protecting your skin? I plan on putting on sunblock prior to the race and wearing a hat, but don't want to take transition time to reapply. Any suggestions you have around products and SPF tactics would be great. Congrats on the Grammy one. Congrats on your performance at Oceanside. Everett. Yeah. So I think it's really hard to remember to put sunscreen on in the morning because it's 5 a.m. and you're freezing cold in the dark in transition. But I always make sure Eric and I remember. And our favorite sunblock brand is Zelios. They're based in Bend. They, um, I find that their stuff stays on for a long time and is fairly sweat resistant. And it just feels kind of like lotion. It's not really super it's sticky or anything. Or it's anything. not cakey. Uh, but something's better than nothing. And I actually noticed in Oceanside they did have a sunscreen pump as you exited transition for all the uh, athletes to put on before they went into the ocean. Because as they've probably figured, not a lot of people are thinking about it in transition, um, especially kind of with that temperature. It wasn't cold, but the sun's still pretty intense. So yeah, lather it on before you put your wetsuit on. Hats and are good. Hats, hats are good. Hats for sure for someone that's worried and, about that. I don't know what your what your plan is, but we wear full sleeve tri suits, so that takes care of your shoulders, and then it's really just your arms, which should sunburn less quickly than any other part of your body because they're out in the sun anyway. Um, and Oregon, Oregon does not have a reputation for super high UPF test, whatever bad sunburns. <laughs> yeah, so that's one good thing. So you pretty much, if you got the full sleeve tri kit, not full sleeve, but like down to your elbows, you kind of just need to do your face, the back of your neck and your ears and maybe hit like your back of your legs if you want or whatever. But it's kind of hard to avoid. Be prepared. You might get a little bit of a sunburn no matter what. I would but. say maybe if you're doing an Ironman, I would like take a little pack of sunscreen oh, yeah. and put it on during the run. There's, They have one. Um What's what's the sunscreen you guys Zelios use? Zelios actually has one. Zelios has a little, a little pack. They were giving them out at Oceanside, and I and I have one. Yeah, they're they're oh, right. Zelios great. Keep those in the van. Sunscreen. Literally, yeah, just right, keep it right. in your like wherever you're keeping your nutrition on the run, and you can do it while yeah. you're running. Yeah, I would recommend that even for a half, maybe for some people. Oh, for, if you're, you're out till eleven thirty and hours. you're a redhead, uh, I definitely would do it. Yeah. Do, do you guys? What's the name of that um, ultra guy who wears the bucket hats? 
You know what I'm talking about? He's winning everything. Uh-uh. Uh, Walmsley. Walmsley. Yes. Um, you can just be like him and wear a big bucket hat and then it'll just, or like a sun True. hat and you'll get a lot of attention. Everyone will be cheering you on and you'll be protected like from the sun. It's like flopping around. Yes, flopping around. Win-win. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, I would say the Zelios uh, little packet is probably the win for that. But it's such a no-brainer if you're a sunscreen manufacturer to sponsor triathlons. I feel like, and just have like an on-course one station where people can like take a little pump or something. Yeah. Well, now that you mentioned it, Zelios was the sunscreen as you exited transition in Oceanside. There you go. But is it at so. every race? I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Maybe ma- maybe now it is. I think they have a new owner now. Oh, Packets. Just bring your own, just yeah. in case. Just in case. Cool. Uh, well, thank you, Everett, for that. Hopefully that was helpful. Uh, next question is from Rolf Romer, RR. Dear Paula, Eric, and Nick, big fan of the pod. I've yet to miss an episode, and I'm a huge fan of both the podcast and the vlog. Keep up the great work. This week, I wanted to ask a question about Flynn. I'm a huge dog person here. Who the heck isn't? So my question is about how you arrived at Flynn's breed when searching to add a dog to the family. I know he's a German wire hair pointer. I have a German short hair pointer myself, which is not technically related, but they have such a similar personality. In my case, I did a lot of research and had to pick from so many awesome breeds. What was it like for you guys? Also, were there any other breeds you were seriously looking at? The hopes of increasing the odds of getting my question answered in the next episode, I'm shamelessly bribing Paula with some dog pics, which you will find attached. Yeah, are those the cute. ones you sent to me, Paula? I can't I remember if I sent you those cute. ones. Cute. There, there were a few that were super cute. Yeah. Well, Paula every does pic- get some random dog pics, dog pics from TTL Nation. <laughs> I love it, though. Uh, this, this question, the reason Eric and I are giggling is that last night... Well, Flynn, first of all, is like so on our nerves right now. We cannot stand him after that trip to California. He's way better at home, but he's still just like a little much right now. Terrible twos. But I said to Eric, if you could go back in time before we got Flynn, and as I was like looking for dogs, if you knew what Flynn was like now, would you have not gotten him then? Kind of like a rhetorical I feel like I I certainly know the answer to that. Yeah, Eric said no. (laughs) He's like, I wouldn't get rid of him now because like he's our son. But if I could go back in time, definitely would have gotten like a bull of whatever he likes. Well, like I was, I was kind of pushing from the, from the outset for like a more of a sedentary dog where we would come home from workouts and it would be happy to just chill with you guys. And it would be happy to just sit on the couch versus like, if we don't take Flynn for a run, we get back from our run and he wants to go for his own run. And then you got to like put your shoes back on and go back outside when you're exhausted. So um, anyway, like we do like him. He is so. <laughs> we do like we, him. We do like him for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Thank God he can't understand English. It's, just, it's been hard. He he ate an entire loaf of banana bread today. Oh yeah, No, we're not it, supposed to say that. No, no, no. We're not supposed to say okay, that? We'll, we'll cut that out. Okay, I'll t- I'll, no, I'll say it because it's funny. It's a but, second loaf of banana bread. So I think maybe some people in TTL Nation would can confirm or deny, but I feel, feel like he's specifically attracted to banana bread, the smell of it, because we, the reason I didn't want to say this, because I feel terrible for the people that generously made us this banana bread, right. but our friend Kathy Hall in California <gasps> gave us Not two loaves after the race. Bread. Yeah. Oh my God. Full of chocolate chips, it's like so many chocolate best. chips. And just to, to precursor the story a bit, Flynn has never eaten like something off the counter, like jumped up and taken human food from anywhere. But we come back from swimming and he's unwrapped the banana bread and eaten the entire loaf and a half of this banana bread. With the chocolate? This was in California. With the chocolate, yeah. And so today, Lindsay Corbin bakes us a beautiful hazel and blue banana bread. 
leave it on the counter, push back against the, against the wall with our sharpest knife, like sitting beside it, get back from whatever we get back from. And it's gone as well. He counter surfed, took the banana bread, ate the entire loaf. And at first when I got home, I was like, did Eric finish this? But then I look <laughs> over at Flynn possible. and he's like he tailing up between the legs. Yeah, oh my God. I've never knew, seen him so guilty. He knew. <laughs> he's so bad. Oh, wow. He went like hidden in the corner. So anyway, we didn't seek a German wire pointer. We never will again, but. <laughs> <laughs> Next one is like a, a basset hound. <laughs> yeah. Ears dragging on the floor going 0.5 miles an hour at top speed. I was honestly looking for a short hair pointer because they're a little smaller. They're very athletic and can run with you. But then we came across Flynn and I, th- I do think he's, he's super cute. He's, how, he is the most handsome boy of all the pointers. How's his foot? Seems to be fine. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> he's yeah, recovering we're... nicely with the banana bread. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, building up he's, those bones. He's really comforting himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, okay. He's okay, great. Well, yeah, I guess you guys weren't specifically looking for a, a German wire hair pointer. No, oh, yeah, we were like started looking at short hair pointers and then we became aware of wire hairs and read about them and decided we could go either way. It was actually between Flynn and a short hair. Then we ended up going with Flynn. So I see. Got it. Okay, well, next question is from Greg. Actually, I have a question for you, Eric. Why is it that every time I try to do a bike repair, it doesn't go as planned? I tried to replace my rotors today, and first of all, the I cannot imagine why the rotors. Did I not know go that's what I thought. I literally gave myself fifteen minutes to do it before my ride, and I well, only that's got, a problem. Yeah, so I successfully got the front rotor off and the new rotor on, no problem. But then the pistons were too far in, so I couldn't get the brake pads, new brake pads, in there. Pushed the pistons yep. out. It still wasn't enough. So finally pushed them out again and got the rotor in there. But now it's so the tolerance is so tight, I can't get it to not rub. So there's no a pad other way. spreader. Yeah, I have like a plastic tool, but it's not the legit one. It's anyway. And then in the back, I couldn't get it off because the cassette removal tool I have, which which also removes the uh, the rotor, yep. it's too shallow, so it can't reach the mm. teeth. So now I have to bring it or buy the buy the legit tool or bring it into a shop. I'm just like, this is supposed to be such a simple repair. Why does everything require me to? It's like ten times longer. This than is I think. this is why we pay for mechanics yeah, because it's right. simple, but you need a seventy dollar tool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and oh. they'll charge you twenty dollars to do it. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Rant rant over. Um, next question is from Greg. Hi Paula, Eric, and Nick. I'm listening to your Oceanside podcast right now and had this question. Do you adjust the setup on your bike relative to the race course? I know this sounds more like a race car question, but I know you may adjust rims, but how about rear cassette and front chain ring, et cetera? So so he's not talking about the fit. He's not talking about the position, right? He's talking about gearing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, for sure. Like if we were to go do Daytona, for example, we're going to run the tightest cassette we have, which is, what is that? Like a 10, 25, I think is what they make in SRAM versus, um, for Oceanside, we ran 10, 30, is it true? 32 or 33. So since we don't have front chain rings, that's it. If we were to go do like Nice, for example, there's a chance we would put on a two by for that because it's so much climbing. Although I did ride a one by in Nice. Yeah. Or you can just be a beast. But to be to answer the question, 
you do have to pay a bit of attention to that. Especially I find on a course like St. George where the downhills are so fast and you run out of gears. I feel like that's happened to me more than running out of gears for climbing. Yeah, Paula runs a 50-tooth front. I run a 52-tooth front, so I can go a lot faster down hills, but have to push lower RPM going up the same hill. So that's the kind of the sacrifice you run into with one by. Right. Um, if you if you if that's not enough for you and you want more Formula One style stuff, do mm-hmm. Xterra. That is a nightmare of a gear that you have to work on. What's your shock pressure? What's your rear shock yeah. pressure? What's your rear tire pressure? Front tire pressure? Which front tire are you gonna run? Which rear tire are you gonna run? Are you gonna run inserts? Yeah, that was a night. Well, not a nightmare, but that was so much work. It's for fun, Eric. but it's like you got to get to the race like three days ahead of time and try out all these different setups and try to figure out what the yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. It's amazing cool, how though. much tire pressure makes a difference in mountain biking. Like people think Insane. it's like getting intense in triathlon or in, in road cycling. Where it's like, oh, you can go down to eighty or eighty-five depending on the width of your tire. It's like in mountain biking, they're like, yeah, can you run like six point five psi on this like trail? It's like, yeah, oh my God, there's a crazy. difference between thirteen point five and fourteen. There definitely yeah. is. Okay, next question is from Chris and Ryan, spelled R H Y A N. Paula, Eric, and Nick. Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. Um, no, I think that's how you spell it for girls. Oh, oh is that right? Really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It's cute. Or it can be. It can be. something new every day. Um, I love that name for a girl, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I like that too. Eric, can we name our girl that when we have a baby? Sure. <laughs> what if it's twins? Can you name them Chris and Ryan? Are you going to commit to her right now on the podcast? Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris and Ryan, you're about to have people named after you, so this better be a good question. You all are absolutely crushing it lately. My wife and I are both triathletes and avid consumers of the vlog and podcast. Keep up the amazing work. Slightly controversial question, and I know that the three of us have talked about this a bit, so I'm curious to see what what you guys will say on here. How do each of you as elite professionals feel about front-of-pack age groupers getting their pro cards to only be off the back of the pro race by 20-plus minutes? Eric, how do you feel about these massive men's pro fields, i.e. Oceanside, where only half of the field has a real shot to be on the podium? And Paula, does it bother you to have pro men getting dropped off the back of the men's field and getting mixed up slash interfering with the women's pro race? Thank you, Chris and Ryan. Okay, well, I'll just I'll just go first because I think my answer is going to be pretty short and this impacts Paula a lot more than it does me. It, it hardly impacts me at all. I think it really impacts someone more like Lionel where there could be quite a few of those pro men who are a stronger swimmer than him or the same speed and he gets really beat up in the water. I've had pretty good luck of like not getting beat up and getting to the first buoy cleanly. So all those 70 guys behind me, are, they can do whatever they want to do. Um, not that big of a problem. But Paula, on the other hand, is behind all that excitement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am not a fan. And it happens all the time that I'll, and I'm not even the best swimmer on the women's field, and I'll catch a handful of men on the swim. And then on the bike, those men don't like women ahead of them. So they, you know, it's the same draft rules apply when we're passing men. We only have 25 seconds to go out and around them. And if they're trying to put in a surge because they don't want a female passing them, it totally affects our race because I'm putting like a 350-watt surge in for a minute to get around a, a, a pro male. Who's 30 minutes behind the, the leader. <laughs> and then they might try to pass me back, and I have to drop back then and ease out my power. So it happens a lot, and I also think it can affect, you know, they can potentially unintentionally 
bring up some of the slower pro women to the front of the race if they're far back out of the water. Slower swimming. What, yeah. yeah, the slower swimmer uh, pro We've women. definitely seen that happen in races where you get to a turnaround and there's a, a woman sitting on the back of a pack of four really fast or eight group men or slow pro men whatever yeah you know it's yeah it's a i don't know i it's it's not fair to them because they're they're not doing anything wrong right like they qualified for their pro card they're racing in the pro field so it's really not their fault but i would just say for pro men i mean i'm sure none of them are listening to this but just be cognizant that there is a pro women's race going on and you're in the mix with the potential winners so be a little bit respectful of that. And a lot of the time they are like, they're awesome. And I'll just say like, I'm passing. Can you please like ease up for a second? And they do. So it's generally not an issue, but I think the way to potentially avoid some of that is to make the gap bigger between the start of the men and the women. Three minutes in Oceanside was really not enough for that big of a field. What do you think it should um, be? Five minimum. Five or six. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Even then we might be catching people in the swim, but for the most part, pro men, even the slower ones are faster cyclists than the fastest pro women. So it's really just the overlap in the swim that kind of makes things messy as the bike is starting out. So, um, and in terms of age group men catching us, that's generally not a problem. And it's actually kind of cool when they do, especially on the run. It's like, you can try to hang with them for a minute or two. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, cool. good question though. It is a thing, and I don't think a lot of people realize it. Yeah, there, I, I, I hear it. It's Eric. It mostly doesn't affect your race, but it seems like for someone like Lionel, who's such an incredibly strong cyclist and yep. almost an equally weak swimmer, although he's getting much faster now, he just has to catch so many. He he, you know, it does affect his race a lot, and then it affects you, Paul, a lot. Yeah, it would be interesting to hear Lionel's thoughts on that because I think there is some kind of thrill of like blowing past yeah, people that you. Mm-hmm we're behind in the water. Sure. So maybe that's like encouraging for him as yeah. he's trying to bridge up versus just being completely solo. But I, I don't know. I mean, you yeah, can. Nick, you do that happens to you, right? You're yeah. a little behind in the swim and you're just like cruising past people. I love it. I, it, it makes me, I remember when I was racing in Malibu and I was, I was leading, uh, the, my age group, the, 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 the group I started with on the bike. And I went by this guy, I was probably going like 25 miles an hour and he was probably going like, 16 or something and when I went by him he just went like woo you know just like (laughs) he was so psyched for me and I just I'll never forget that moment it gave me so much energy I I love that feeling (laughs) that's awesome that's cool okay so Sarah Kimmel asked a question hey Paul and Eric I'm a huge fan of the brand and everything it stands for your YouTube channel got me through some very mentally challenging times through 2020 my black lab Ori Ori what is E with a line over it how do you pronounce that um, I don't know. We don't know. Where is it in the? She gave us, you know, like sometimes, like and in, in like when it, the definition of a word has the way it's pronounced. Oh, mm-hmm. it's or and then e with a line over it. O r e. I think that's probably ore. Ore. Yes, I think so too. I'm just gonna. I'm just guessing. My black lab ore is a huge fan of Flynn and Chimmy too. <laughs> a couple questions. Paula noticed you were wearing the Giro helmet at Oceanside. Do you recommend that over the S Works one? Right, right. <laughs> my contract with Specialized doesn't require me to wear their helmets, but I do really love their road helmets and I would prefer to wear their TT helmet. Uh, it just isn't as easy to see out of for me as the Giro. The Giro fits me a little bit better. Tested actually really similar in the wind tunnel, but I find that if 
I'm riding with the specialized helmet in its fastest position, there's little room for error and head movement versus the Giro is a little more forgiving and it fits my bike fit a little better. And I just never have issues with seeing up the road with the Giro. So I think the Giro generally fits a lot of people really well. Um, Basically, any aero helmet, it really kind of comes down to your specific position, whether or not you have a very flat back or you're sitting up a little bit more. Or on the other end, if you have a hump in your back, like a lot of different aero helmets, like the Specialized could fit me perfectly and be a better helmet. But for Paula, it's not quite right. And I think Paula nailed it with saying that like the Giro is pretty forgiving with fitting a wide range of back angles and abilities to like, you know, crane your neck. And the thing that's difficult is that there are some general rules about TT helmets. Like if you move around a lot, you don't want it to have a long tail. But then yeah. there's are yeah. some rules that are not general. Like some helmets are just faster for some people and they're yep. not as fast for other people. So the best thing you can do obviously is try to try to make some kind of test if you can if you can do it on a flat piece of course <laughs> somewhere or get in the wind tunnel like Paula did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a big part of it for me anyway is comfort and visibility. And I found that when a lot of the helmets that I tried were in the correct aerodynamic position, it was hard for me to see up the right. road. So Obviously you gotta see. I, that's the biggest thing for me. And then you're just moving around your head trying to see, and then you're not aero anymore. So yeah, I wore the Oakley for a little while. Like when I won Daytona, I wore that helmet. And I don't think it necessarily fit me well. I just think it's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I think you can visually tell from a side video or something, if you have the opportunity to test out a You can tell if something's a big no. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't tell, like, fine differences, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the second question that Sarah had was, Eric, have you thought of doing Unbound 200 someday? Would love to see you in Kansas. Mm, Not seriously, no. Like, the idea has gone through my head. I wonder what it would be like. But for the most part, like, I haven't really gotten into ultra super endurance stuff yet you know like iron man's not that intriguing to me just be based on the distance you know um but i, I feel know. like you do really, really more well into like i think i, I, I think agree. i would do really well i just it's not something that i could fit into a triathlon season i don't think i right. think the recovery window after that would be so massive that there wouldn't be a lot of triathlon training and you i'd want to train specifically for it so yeah maybe after triathlon at I, some the, point. I you know it's funny i didn't even consider the possibility of you doing this during triathlon. I'm fully like post pro yeah. triathlon career doing some of this stuff because it seems like yeah. the running is the thing that stops people in age. Like you can still bike really well uh, as you yeah. get older. Yeah, theoretically. I've got hip problems <laughs> that are making yeah, my biking right. challenging. But I think if like the top of my list of like super epic long things to do would be like Cape Epic or Swiss Epic would be the first. And that dirty Kanja just sounds brutal and flat and like it's just brutal versus mountain biking is inherently got some in, a little Fun. more enjoyment to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And the third question was, have you ever thought, this is a great one. Have you ever thought of doing a TTL group ride at races? Pros do these a lot at gravel events, and I think it would be fun at triathlons too. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, we definitely have thought about it. It really goes against my uh, <laughs> chill out plan the week before to do the race. less the <laughs> yeah. week before the race. But I think that being strategic about what we do, like maybe merging it with the pop up and doing a ride for an hour, right. that might be cool. Or like a post race spin, something like that. Yeah, like what, the things that usually start to jump up that stop me. From, 
from like getting serious about it or, okay, do we need insurance? Like, where are we allowed to start or stop from? And then, okay, where are you going to go? Is that good for a group? Like how many people are we going to have? Are we going to have a hundred people or are we going to have five people? Yeah. Like, is this route conducive for that? You know, I think jogs are easier. A like a five to oh, yeah. And you can talk, you can talk. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's good. I and like you that. can kind of like bump around and talk to different people. So maybe yeah. we'll do that next time. All right. Yeah. Pre-race tentative. 70.3 Oregon pre-race jog. Nice. Tentative. Like pick a cool coffee shop, run from there. <laughs> and then maybe we could also do the post-race party too, if if the world allows, if the stars allow. That's what I'm all about. Yeah. I, I want to figure out how we have the best after party ever. Yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> Especially in your home state. It could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Salem, going to be a rager. Rager, <laughs> which is the capital, right? Is it the capital of Oregon? Yeah, and like yeah. most state capitals, it's Are, like, uh, so not the epicenter yeah. of culture yeah. or <laughs> right. nightlife. Yeah. And every state I've lived has been that way too. Okay, last question, and we couldn't possibly do an entire podcast without bringing up our best friend, Trixie Mattel. So Mika says... Right at the buzzer. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Hi, guys. Just want to say I love the pod, and I'm a major Trixie fan as well. I just ran my first marathon at 19 this past weekend and plan on putting my focus on triathlon more this summer. I've been an open water swimmer for a number of years, but have never really done much biking. I wanted to know if you had any bike recommendations for me. I'm thinking of getting a road bike, but I have access to some gravel and dirt paths where I live. What's a good price range for a somewhat beginner triathlete? P.S. Flynn's Strava posts are the best. So I'll just say, <laughs> let's not talk about the same thing we talked about with our friend who is a great uh, elite runner and, and swimmer. Yes. Let's talk more about the maybe the a bike. good starter bike, maybe a good kind of bike and the price range for that. Yeah, a, a lot of bikes these days, like road-specific bikes, are made to accommodate pretty f- wide tires. So unless you've got some pretty chunky gravel, I think you could get um, a pretty normal road bike and put up to like a 32C tire on there and be okay on gravel. Do you think that, sh- should it be like a, an endurance maybe frame? Because I feel like those have even wider tolerances yeah. for tire. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good a good thought. I, I think yeah, Argon has a bike they call it like the Krypton and it, it kinda it's supposed to be more vertically compliant, softer ride and accommodate like a thirty four C tire. Zero percent aerodynamic. So that is one thing to think about with a if you think your main thing is gonna be a triathlon, you, you might ah, I think it doesn't I don't know. What is like the three T? Three T's got that like kind of arrow looking gravel bike. I feel like that so much of the aerodynamics of a bicycle comes from your position on it. And I think for mm-hmm. a beginner, I do think a gravel bike is just the straight up best thing to get. Because you can 100% ride on the road. You can have a lot of fun on gravel. And then you can put clip-ons there and do your triathlon too. And then when you get really, really fast, you can upgrade to a like straight up road bike or a TT bike. Yeah, it really depends how competitive of a person you are yeah. from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. I was going to recommend getting a road bike and then putting wider tires on it because oh, okay. if they have an open water swim background and a running background, chances are they're going to be oh, pretty good yes. at it. Okay, that's good they're point. not going to want to be on super thick pack. tires back of the pack, which makes an enormous difference what tires you ride, right? Yeah. Y- right. You could you could definitely put road tires on your gravel bike as well. So. Please submit your resume to us, and then we'll give you a better answer. <laughs> what exact percentage of road to gravel are you going to be riding? No, more oh. like, how fast are you at swimming and running? Well, then we'll tell you what kind of bike to get. Right, right. That's right. Um, 
Well, great. So yeah, we think, and, and what price range should we be looking at? I, I, I would suggest uh, used. And if you, if you can get a used bike, get a used bike. Yeah. And maybe like I was going to say a thousand. I have not looked at the used bike market lately. I I, I just assume it's out of control. I have, and I'm looking at old road bikes. Maybe like two to three grand. I don't think you'd want to go older than like eleven speed because it'll just be hard to find any sort of part you need for it or anything. I would recommend going on to Pro's Closet. They have a lot of bikes on there that are secondhand but really well um, tuned and stuff, so they're in good shape. And they won't sell them if they're like cracked or whatever. So yeah. it's a good little. That's smart. Check. Two to three grand mm-hmm. to me seems like too much. I feel like a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars, because two to three grand is like you're getting a carbon bike for two to three grand used. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think yeah. a, a person who's new to cycling necessarily needs a carbon bike. That's that's, that's true. Again, submit your resume and then yeah. we'll let you know. <laughs> we will dissect it live on the pod <laughs> and cut you down in yeah. front of your peers. <laughs> Um, anyway, cool. that's that's all we had uh, for today. Uh, I I feel like we got a lot, lot of we got a lot of new listeners from last week's pod. A lot of people were curious about the race report. Yeah, we were pretty behind on questions as a result of talking about the race before and after. So it was like massive rapid fire question day. Well, also yeah. last week was our most listened to pod by far. So well, thank you guys for continuing to listen. A little peek Thanks behind for the watching. scenes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> a little peek behind the scenes. Every week is our most listened to pod ever because we are growing exponentially. It feels good. And this was this was more most listened to. That's right. right. And it's all because people are just sharing it with each other because we're not doing mm. anything other than just we'll post it on our Instagram story or something. So we really appreciate that. That's the best way that we can have the pod grow is for you guys to share it with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing a terrible job of marketing it so far. I mean, I don't know. It seems to be working. Yeah. I think we're going with just fine. Hardcore organic growth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's growing exponentially and we continue to make zero dollars. Yeah, that's right. We love it. <laughs> It's like we're somehow making less each episode and it's still zero. I don't know how that works. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, you can send your questions in to that triathlon life brand at gmail.com. And please, if you have a question about your fitness, you're going to have to send in exact numbers for your swim and your bike and your run. Yeah. If yeah. you want advice on training, just give us your data. Yeah. Do please send them to the email. Every once in a while I go and I find them in the Instagram direct messages, but yeah. they're very easy to get to get lost in there. So. Even I get questions sometimes <laughs> to my Instagram. <laughs> um, but it's all good. It's all good. We, 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 we love all of it and we appreciate all, all your support. Yes, we do. Thanks guys. And we'll uh, talk to you next week. See you later. Ciao. Ciao.